0: All topics covered here are for conversational purposes only and do not constitute financial advice. Please contact Mulcahy Co to receive advice on all matters from one of our professionals.
1: Welcome, listeners. So, this is a bit of an ad hoc podcast from Mulcahy Co. So, in light of the recent volatility in both domestic and share markets around the world, we thought at Mulcahy Co Financial Planning it might be prudent to hear something from the professionals in this instance, which is. Jonathan Tulip from our research team in Sydney called InvestSense. So by way of introductions, my name's Danny Archer. I'm a partner in the financial planning team um, at Mulcahy & Co. And we're joined by Jesse Jury, who works alongside myself. And then as you can see, we're also joined by Jonathan from InvestSense. JT, I'll get you to introduce yourself, please.
0: Uh, Hello, everyone. Uh, Thanks very much uh, for having me here. Uh, so uh, my name is Jonathan Tullib. Um So just a little bit about myself, maybe. Uh, I got about uh, 22, 23 years of experience in financial services. Uh, spent the first uh, big chunk of that 10 plus years in New York, um, basically in trading and investment roles for, for a number of investment banks. Um, and I've been for the last uh, 12 years or so um, in Australia, uh, looking after client portfolios. Um, and uh, investment was founded specifically for that purpose to help uh, businesses like Markay, uh to better manage uh, the portfolios of their clients. Uh, so together with um, Jesse, Danny, and, and and the rest of the team at, at Marquee, we uh, uh, bring our heads together uh, once every few weeks and talk about investments, talk about the best way um, to, to 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 manage money, to manage portfolios, and we implement that in, in a fairly efficient manner.
1: Beautiful. Thank you very much for that, JT. So to the listeners, the purpose of today's meeting was, in, as I said at the start, in light of the recent share market volatility, we just wanted to give you guys a little bit of reassurance um, as to what Mole K and Co Financial Planning in conjunction with InventSense actually do when we say we're going to manage um, your money for you. So we do appreciate that volatility um, can bring a can bring along some angst and a little bit of unease to those out there when you log on to your balance and it's a little bit less than you perhaps thought or even wanted it to be in the short term. Um, nobody likes to see that, neither, neither do we. And you know, we're, we're professionals in the industry, um, but we must remember the reason why we are investing in the first place. There are risks associated with every investment plan, um, even leaving money in the bank does have its risks associated with it. So um, we've got a series of questions that we'll put to, to JT, um, being the expert in the field who hopefully gives us a little bit of peace of mind and some reassurance as to what we're doing. So we'll start. So, so JT, just can you please explain what role InvestSense does play in the building and the constant reviewing and the constant rebalancing of the portfolios that we invest our clients' money into?
0: Yes. So um, so I guess that's where the kind of the partnership uh, with, with you guys uh, comes in is that uh, we we are entirely dedicated to uh, investments and, and financial markets. So I guess if you can uh, try to imagine a day in the Office of Investments, it's one never ending investment committee where every day we look at markets, we look at financial news, uh, we analyze stuff. Um, and, and from that perspective, you, did it, you know, thinking about portfolio is not something we do once every quarter. It is really an ongoing uh, enterprise. Um, and um, whenever we come up with a good idea, or something that has to be done then you know we'll give you guys a call discuss um and and um and and, and, and as i said implement um the implementation is quite important um what we do together is uh, through what's called the managed account which means that at every time when we make a decision at a push of a button it gets implemented instantly um into all client accounts um, and that is very important especially in times like these um when if we want to uh, buy or sell something uh, that it'd be done in a, in a timely manner.
1: Perfect. And then in respect to the portfolio, so we always explain to our clients that there are two ways in which an investor can go about investing as in in a higher level, one's called the valuation based method and one's called the growth based method. So we, we adopt the valuation based method of investing. Do you want to just give us a bit of a summary as to what that is and what its key benefits are?
0: Yeah, sure. So without uh, getting too technical right away, um, essentially valuation and analysis means that uh, we're looking at the information that is currently available um, to all participants. Um, and that's an important part because um, it's a, it's an objective methodology, right? It's not subjective. It's not we impose our view of what's going to happen. It's really just taking the information at hand and deriving from that a view of future expected return. How much are we likely um, to to, to make from an investment in this share, in this market, et cetera? Now, just to be clear, we don't have a crystal ball. Therefore, uh, we don't have perfect foresight of what returns are likely to be, especially in the short term, right? We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen next month, or even what's going to happen next year. But the valuation methodology allows us to have a pretty accurate view of what's going to happen over the next 10 years. Um, and and that is essentially everything that we're trying to achieve is looking at all the available investments looking at australian shares versus us shares versus european shares um, and bonds here and overseas and saying how much are we likely to get paid for that is that a good return and uh, relative to other um, available investments and most importantly what risk am i incurring by taking that venture if something goes wrong How much might I lose? And then therefore everything becomes a risk return analysis. Here's my expected return. Here's my expected risk. And is that a good trade-off?
2: Perfect, great answer. JT, I've um, I've got a question. So um, keeping in mind that we're obviously long-term investors, but um, there's been a a fair bit of volatility recently. And and we obviously make changes to our portfolios, um, both quarterly and ad hoc. what is the what's the short term plan for our portfolios, um, and how are we positioning ourselves relative to the market?
0: Yeah, so so, Seth, and thanks for asking that, Jesse. That's probably the most difficult question I'll have to answer today.
2: Absolutely. Um,
0: the <laughs> the um, look the the interesting thing about valuation investing um, is that um, you can be wrong in the short term. In order to be right in the long term right yeah so, as i said don't know what's going to happen in, in, in the near future and therefore the decision we made may or may not work right away but there's a high likelihood of working over in the long term mm-hmm. What this means for for us now is that our things are getting uncomfortable for investors um, and ours prices are going down paradoxically for us things are actually becoming more attractive Mm-hmm. So that means that the future expected returns from this point onwards, forget the past, but from this point onwards, are actually higher and more attractive. And so periods like these are essentially spent, um, and that's you know the plan that we have in place, uh, trying to find attractive investments that have popped up. Um, we don't spend most of our time thinking about how to get more defensive, because again, that's quite short term. We cannot predict um, if markets are going to rebound here continue to go down. Um, however, we can observe that over the next 10 years, some things are starting to be a little bit more attractive. Um, and, and that's really where we're focusing our, our efforts. And the plan, so to say, um, is over time, uh, things are getting cheaper and cheaper to actually increase risk um, and, and and start buying more. Now, we haven't reached that stage yet. Yeah, We're still positioned fairly neutral um, across the portfolios. So, a neutral balance of growth assets like shares and defensive assets like bonds or cash. Uh, But at one point in that process, there will become a time where we'll, you know, probably where it feels the most uncomfortable uh, that we'll start uh, adding risk to the portfolios.
1: Perfect. And for our listeners, so that's a key benefit of the Mulcahy and Co. team engaging the team invest InvestSense in that. Um, as I as I keep saying, they're the experts in in the field, and um, they're the ones that make the call as to which businesses, or which markets, or which industries, or which even ETFs we potentially add more risk into. So thanks for that, JT. So and then also. In the current climate with with some volatility in it, we always talk about defensive assets and their role in the portfolio, which you mentioned. So how do the fixed interest and cash positions help in situations such as we're currently seeing?
0: Yeah, so that um, normally would be a fairly simple uh, question to answer, but in the the recent, uh, I mean, so far this year, it's become uh, a bit more difficult. So specifically, what I would answer is that um, cash and especially bonds um, are there to provide kind of a counterweight. Um, to equities so in normal times from a bond you're collecting a, a coupon uh, meaning you know it's, it's like a dividend that get, gets paid uh, for holding the bond and the value of the bond itself is fairly stable. Uh, and typically they're defensive um, instruments because when equities tend to go down, the price of bonds tend to go up right So they provide kind of that kind of weight um, in normal time, they grow slowly um, and in bad times they kind of protect to the downside a little bit. Um, What's been happening this year is different um, and unusual. It's that um, as equities have gone down, or actually one of the reasons that equities have been going down is because interest rates are going up. So again, not trying to be too technical here, but interest rates going up means that the price of bonds is also going down. So we've had this very unusual situation where both equities and bonds um, have gone down uh, at the same time. Mm. Uh, And that is a challenge for people like us who are building portfolios. So in that instance, the only true defensive asset is cash, and we hold a fair amount of cash um, in in pretty much all the portfolios, but obviously more for the more defensive portfolios. Um, But uh, probably one of the things that we've been the most successful at is investing in bonds that actually have turned out to be defensive, even in this environment, right? So we've had to think a little bit outside of the box here and make a few calls. Uh, that were a little bit out of the beaten path um, and invest in non-traditional bonds. And that has been probably the most helpful decisions we've made over the last few years.
2: Great. Um, so talking about moving on to inflation, which obviously has a, um, a fairly direct relationship with, with um, the interest rate hikes that are coming as well. So um, we're feeling it a lot in Australia. Cost of living is, is going up pretty pretty rapidly. Um, but the rest of the world is, is also seeing that as well. Um, what, in your opinion, are the primary causes for the international inflation hike?
0: Yeah, so, so again, uh, we've spent hours uh, talking and debating that. Uh, but uh, look, it, um, that's where so some of it is uh, a little bit um, our views, um, uh, which which I'm happy to share. Um, I think it, it all starts with COVID, really. Absolutely. Um, and um, w- w- what happened during COVID is that governments in Australia, but also almost everywhere around the world, definitely in the developed world, the government stepped in to help the population financially. Right uh, here mm-hmm. in Australia, we had. JobKeeper, keeper, job seeker. Um, in the rest of the world, the programs had different names, but they had the same effect and the same intention, which was to provide cash in the hands of consumers, um, in the hands of individuals, and to help them through this difficult period. Right. Um, so you have basically incomes around the developed world going up. Everybody having more money, having been able to save and therefore spend more money. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you had a disruption in the production of goods um, a lot of the goods that are manufactured in china for example uh, were not being manufactured anymore and generally speaking around the world um, a lot of businesses stop producing because of lockdowns and COVID, etc so you have a situation where everybody has more money to spend and they're actually less goods and that's a very simple supply and demand imbalance um, where if you got more money but there's less good uh, simply the price of those goods has to go up in order to meet, you know, that, that, that demand. And that's what started to happen. And we're continuing to see the ripple effects of that, essentially. So that's probably the, the primary factor, I would say. Um, the second of this slightly related, is the supply chain disruptions of COVID um, and um, of uh, geopolitical uh, tensions generally. Um, uh, that has caused this, you know, Contraction in the amount of available goods and shipping, etc., um, to to, um, to 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 even accentuate that effect and having even less goods. Right now, everyone thought that that supply chain disruption was very fairly short-term thing. As it happened, um, once the genie is out of the box, it's really really hard to 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 put it back in, and it's taking months and years uh, for 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 those uh, disruptions to be fixed. We're starting to see signs now uh, of of, of things improving. Uh, The third major factor is obviously the one in Ukraine, um, which has disrupted a lot of commodity um, markets, but especially energy, price of gas, price of oil. Um, Energy prices feed into pretty much everything. Um, Everything that has to be manufactured, and even services um, use energy prices. And therefore, if energy prices are going up, everybody else has to increase their prices. And that uh, has uh, had a big effect um, on, on on inflation generally. And finally, the last thing that I would mention is uh, inflation expectations, right? So when people expect inflation to occur, as is the mm-hmm. case today, everybody knows that inflation is high. If you know, people change their behaviors around that, if I know that I need to buy a TV and I'm worried that TV is going to be more expensive in three months time, then I'm purchasing it now so actually people are bringing forward their purchases um, if um, I know that my cost of living because of energy or rent etc is going up I'm going to go to my boss and ask for a raise uh, all of those things are pushing and then in order to pay for the raise that my boss is going to have to give me he's going to have to increase prices of whatever goods or services the company is selling all of these things combined are, are, are lifting inflation it's
2: a ripple um, effect across the economy, today. isn't it
0: yeah, absolutely,
1: absolutely. It's an interesting answer. So I guess when, when COVID occurred, there was an unprecedented event and the Western world economies and governments that could spend the money, they obviously, as you said, they injected a lot of cash into the economy to try and quell things and try and prevent there to be, um, you know, a more sort of dire situation than unfortunately some other countries in the world experienced. The net result of it is, we've had a bit of an economic effect that we probably didn't foresee. Um, so it's one of those things sometimes we say, well, COVID's gone away. Um, the consequences of it aren't, aren't just yet. So it's an interesting yeah, one. Absolutely. So, and then a bit of a two-part question here, um, JT. So in light of the inflation hike, why are central banks increasing interest rates? Um, and then what, in a very brief answer, what's the difference between a potential recession and then an economic soft landing? Because that okay. R word has um, been floated around in the news a little bit of yeah. late in that, depending on which medium you you consume your news from, some are more reputable than others. Some of our clients have brought up, do we expect there to be a, a recession? Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that's quite a topical one at the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so remember what I said about inflation, that it's um, at the end of the day, an imbalance between demand, high demand and low supply. Um, and that's true. We mentioned goods that are manufactured in places. Also true in services, right? Um, everybody's experiencing shortages of staff, um, and, and and therefore the price of services is going up as well because employers need to pay their staff more, etc. Now, central bank cannot easily solve the demand problem, right? If there's a shortage of energy, the central bank cannot, you know, um, you know, pump more oil out of the ground. The central bank cannot easily encourage people to come out of retirement um, and to start working Um, so the supply side of things or the central bank cannot easily uh, manufacture more goods wherever they're needed Uh, the supply side is is very uh, hard to solve it has to be solved by governments by um, uh, private enterprises and it usually happens over time over Mm -hmm. a number of years what the central bank can easily do is solve the demand issue, right? If mm-hmm. I can't bring up the supply, then I can only bring down the demand, right? Yeah. Um, and that's what the purpose of increasing interest rates is. Uh, so by increasing interest rates, central bank is essentially making our lives more difficult, but on purpose. Uh, so impact on ourselves, interest rates are going up. It means our mortgage payments are going to go up, and therefore, we're going to have less money to spend on other things, right? Right um and that's exactly what the central banks uh, in australia and in pretty much all of the developed world want to do at the moment is to make us consume less um in order to lower that demand and lower the inflation That's that's essentially what they're trying to do in a nutshell now to the second part of your question um it's it's a, a you know obviously they're trying to fine tune that so they're trying to lower the demand and is in essence slowing down the economy that is overheating that's a sign of inflation is a sign of overheating economy. Um but it's but it's very hard to for them to get it perfectly right. So they're trying to slow down the economy. The yeah. problem we see is if you slow down the economy too much, you end up in a recession. Um, and hence why you hear those things recession versus soft landing. Soft landing in the scenario where they lower economic growth just enough um that it lowers inflation but it doesn't push The economy into a recession that's the ideal scenario that everybody's striving for uh, the soft landing the other scenario is whereby. You know they have a conscious choice to make they're very worried about inflation and that becomes an even bigger threat than the recession and therefore they're almost willingly pushing the economy over into recession because it's the lesser of two evils.
1: And I find the first part of that, the answer to your question there, to the question there, quite interesting in relation to our valuation-based model and philosophy in that when they do what what I like to say in meetings, pull the handbrake on the economy a little bit, so you do spend a little bit less. It's interesting that whilst you have less to spend, you still have to spend money on the needs in life, and then you obviously sacrifice the wants and it's, um, there's no sort of, we, there's no surprise that on the back of that, we, we don't have a lot of tech and a lot of consumer discretionary um, direct mm-hmm. exposure in our portfolios, particularly in a time like this. So if you look through our portfolios, there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of companies that you more or less need to spend your money on. So petrol, um, utilities, supermarket, those kinds of things versus the ones mm-hmm. which is a tech stock or a retail store
0: yeah no absolutely um and i'll add just a a few words on that i think for the kind of the first part of the year the focus was on companies that can pass on inflation right Mm -hmm. who's got the pricing power uh to pass on inflation to consumers and therefore to protect the level of earnings uh whereas i think increasingly as you mentioned the focus is going to be on which are the companies that are more likely to uh, do well in a recession environment basically and as you mentioned it tends to be uh, those those uh, defensive companies, consumer staples, et
2: cetera. circling um, so back a little bit, JT, you spoke um, earlier about Ukraine, um, the, the war that's going on um, there and how that's affecting inflation. Um, that's obviously been going on for a little while now. And, and um, Danny and I were, were talking earlier uh, this week about how it kind of feels like yesterday's news. Um, and it has mm-hmm. sort of for, for a little while now. Um, But it's obviously still very much ongoing and um, it seems to really be ramping up um, in the the past couple of weeks. Um, Do we expect its significance um, in terms of the world's economy and and more so share markets? um, Do we expect the significance of that war to continue to dwindle away like it has felt? Or could we see still some significant market consequences um, to come from that?
0: Um, Look, I think, um, and and look, whenever we uh, discuss those things, um, I think it's important to make it clear that uh, although we do spend quite a bit of time reading about the geopolitical events, et cetera, um, um, and and we definitely take that into into consideration um, in in our uh, investment decisions, um, at the end of the day, we're very much guided by the valuation framework that I've described earlier, long-term view, objective analysis, et cetera. Uh, Having said that, um, I think that the, the major impact that the Ukraine war has had on markets so far has been in energy markets. Um, mm-hmm. It has others, uh, but that's really been the, 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 the central one. Um, to that extent, um, that hasn't gone away. And and I think uh, given recent developments, it seems that it's unlikely to go away anytime soon. Um, and uh, so the recent events that I'm referring to is uh, there was a, a, a pipeline gas pipeline connecting uh, Russia to the rest of Europe um, uh, called Nord Stream um, uh, that wasn't very clear if Russia was intentionally not putting gas through the pipeline or uh, you know, they said it was just normal maintenance. And now there seemed to have been an incident where something in the pipe has broken or exploded, uh, depending on, on on your interpretation. Uh, and the outcome of that, that there's definitely going to be, um, again, uh, less energy flowing from Russia to the rest of Europe. Um, and therefore, the disruptions that we have seen in energy markets, it seems like they're, they're, they're likely to, to be sustained. Um, it doesn't seem like we're nearing a, a, a resolution anytime soon. At the same time, other oil producers um, or energy producers haven't been willing to increase their production or maybe unable to increase their production. So we still have exactly the same um, dilemma or issue that we've had at the, at the beginning of the conflict, which is that the price of energy. Is expected to be relatively high for the foreseeable future, and that to flow flow through the rest of the economy. I think that that's the major um, uh, the major key takeaway, basically, um, and that is uh, likely to be sustained. But as I said, that's that's more of a subjective opinion.
1: Perfect. So we know that JT the, the definition of a recession is technically um, two two quarters of negative GDP growth. Um, and then we also know, you know, behavioural finance, which most financial advisors are, are pretty keen on, which in broad terms is the psychological influences behind decision making or what, what motivates us to make um, decisions with our money. So does, which that sort of that behavioural finance stuff can directly correlate to share market volatility. What I mean by that is people read the news and they hear something's gone wrong, i.e. what's happened in Ukraine or inflation or interest rates, and they assume the worst. And they sell, and that's what actually um, results in the share market volatility. But does mm-hmm. the share market volatility have a direct correlation or influence on the chances of a recession? And does this does share market volatility actually affect GDP?
0: Right. Uh, so again, that that's a, quite quite a almost a deep philosophical question. But uh, <laughs> if um, if we can answer it at the, at a headline level, if you will um i I think it's the other way around i think basically share market as a whole are forward looking um investors collectively don't look at you know just what happened in the recent past or what's likely to happen in the in the future but everybody thinks with a long term especially equity markets long term in mind right so what's likely to happen the next few years i'm going to bring into the price today if i'm worried about a recession even in a year or two years time um, this is why equities shares are going down today. Um, so I think it's, it's almost like as if the share market is a thermometer of the mm. economy, um, if you will. Um, and so the fact that the share market is going down today isn't what's going to cause GDP to go down, isn't what's going to cause a recession. It's actually a reflection of the fact that investors are worried about GDP going down in the future, are worried about uh, about a recession. Uh, so that, that's probably at the, the most simple level. At, at a deeper level, I think we, we, there's definitely a, um, um, a, a psychological effect of uh, share markets going down, people pulling their horns in, um, in, less liquidity being available, meaning less money for investments. So if a firm is looking to invest um, into you know, a new production plant or whatever it is, they need to raise money for that. That's going to be more difficult to achieve in an environment where shares are going down. Uh, when ver- investors aren't willing to lend money, uh, mm-hmm. so you can see that definitely has flow-on psychological impact, uh, and that those impact can 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 last uh, for for a little while.
2: Um, so moving um, to the UK now, JT, um, we've seen a couple of headlines um, over the past couple of days in, in relation to. Um, the UK buying up um, a number of government bonds, uh, sort of purchasing long-term debt. Could you explain a little bit um, behind why they're why they're doing that?
0: Yes, yes. Uh, so I'm going to try because uh, there's um, it's a very uh, uh, it's a very interesting, at least uh, or unusual uh, thing that happened there in the UK. So mm. uh, as you probably know, there's a new government that was sworn in the UK uh, with uh, a new prime minister and a new uh, treasurer. Um, and um the new treasurer uh, almost immediately implemented a, um, a mini budget, right? So a revised budget. Um, and and that was, I guess, not exactly uh, what markets um had expected or or maybe contrary to what markets wanted. Um and in essence, the budget was uh, the key aspect of the budget was uh, cutting taxes, right? Um, So you're cutting taxes, but you're not reducing expenses in the government. Uh, It essentially means that the government deficit is going to grow. Um, And as markets are looking at the UK, there's a lot of other developed economies, especially in Europe, um, uh, where they have already quite a large uh, deficit um, and a lot of government debt um, on their books. Um, And they're saying, well, you're just going to add a lot more debt to that. Uh, that's going to have to be financed by a lot of bonds. You're going to have to issue a lot of bonds to, to pay for that. Um, and uh, and we're not so sure about the outcome of that. Um, and so essentially the market started losing faith in um, the UK government and therefore in the UK government bonds. And you saw the price of government bonds go down by something staggering, something I think like close to 25% mm. in a matter of a few days. Which yeah. is something you'd never, you've never seen before. It's in a big number, less, definitely not in developed markets. Maybe in some emerging markets, you know, in in crisis times, but n- never seen anything like that in a in a developed economy like the UK. Um, and that has essentially almost forced the central bank in the UK to intervene uh, to say we can't allow that to happen. Uh, that too too much of a disruption um, to the functioning, normal functioning of markets and of the economy. Um, And therefore, we need to support the price of our bonds um, and um, of the currency as well, to some extent, but mostly the bonds. Um, And therefore, the central bank does what it can do, uh, which is to step into markets and start buying bonds. So if investors are losing faith in selling bonds, the central bank is coming behind says, we, the central bank, is standing behind it, uh, and we're going to buy those bonds and and maintain those levels. And and you've seen the price of bond uh, come back up, not all the way up, but almost all the way up to where it was before um so, so so that's essentially what happened the implication of that is when the central bank buys bonds it essentially injects liquidity injects money into the economy yeah. right um that's a stimulative measure, measure that's usually what the central banks do in times of a recession it's what the central banks did during COVID. um the problem now is that the central bank as we discussed earlier are trying to do the opposite they're not trying to stimulate the economy they're trying to slow down the economy uh, and so that put a few questions mark on the what the outlook for inflation is going to be in the u k if the central bank is trying to do two things at the same time, slow down the economy because inflation is high, but also support uh, the bond market and therefore inject more money into into markets. so we'll leave we we'll leave it at that with a, with a big question mark, but essentially that that's what uh, what happened um and and we we haven't seen anything like that or anything close to that um here in Australia um just to kind of reassure investors here um, is that uh, we don't have anywhere near the same debt levels um, uh, uh, in Australia and we haven't seen anything like uh, those type of disruptions to to our bond market uh, that would force the, the central bank to do what it did in the UK. It's
1: a fascinating answer and I must admit when I did read it across a few different um, news outlets it did sort of you know raise my eyebrows a lot in that. Why are they doing this? Because as you said, they, it does seem like they're trying to do two different things at once, but a bit of a watch this space. So thank you very much for being so generous with your time, JT. One last question from us. In light of everything that we've discussed today and the things that have happened, you know, in the global health and economic environment, not just in the last 12 months, but probably the last two or three years. Um, the obvious question is, are you at all surprised about the market volatility both domestically and abroad that we've experienced?
0: Uh, look, that, that's, a, that's more of a personal question, which I'm uh, very happy to uh, to, to answer. Look, uh, as I mentioned, I started my career over 20 years ago. And uh started my career actually in 2000, 2001, uh, my investment career. So I've actually been through the NASDAQ uh, tech uh, crash. I've been through the GFC, and I was actually still working in New York, very much in the heart of it. Um, and I've been through COVID. So in a, what's a relatively short period of time of 22, 23 years, um, I've lived through three major crises, I'd say. Um, and especially when you start with a crisis, um, you, you kind of grow to, to expect the crisis almost at every turn. Uh, so a lot of people say that, uh, you know, watch what year people start their investment career. It usually defines whether they're gonna be always optimistic, or always pessimistic. So I, th- I guess I, I fall in the slightly uh, pessimistic camp. Um, so, and, and, and then look, that's also part of what we do at Investments is we're trying to think about what might go wrong. Not necessarily what will go wrong but what might go wrong what what are the risks around here um so so look i haven't been surprised to 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 to, to some extent i think um it it was fairly assumed that covid is represented such a disruption um in so many different ways that the impact and the ripple effects of that can last for a few years um and and as i said and probably the the most important part is that while while those periods of time are scary and unsettling um, they also represent opportunities over Mm -hmm. the long term Um, and I think that that's what's important to keep in mind is that um, you know most of your clients uh, rely on that money for as their retirement savings and and that is the good news right that is you know um, your super money is not something you're going to need to pay your rent it's something that you will need in, in in your later years in life And there's good news there, which is that you're today buying assets every every time that you have a super contribution today, you're buying assets at a 20 to 30 percent discount to what you bought them nine months ago, Mm -hmm. Um, right? And and that that's a great deal for investors. Doesn't matter if things continue to go down from here, you've already been buying at a great price. Um, And and so I think you know again looking forward, these should be even though it doesn't feel like that, but these should be um, actually interesting or, or, or almost uh, would venture exciting uh, times for for investors, even if it doesn't feel that way.
1: The two words I love most about that, you just said then was it represents an opportunity. Represents opportunity is, is always great. So thank you very much, uh, JT, for, for going through those questions. So in the world of finance, in particular, the conversations that advisors have with their clients, As long as there's a genuine explanation and a reason why things are happening the way that they are, volatility, those sort of things, it can be a lot more palatable. As I said at the start, nobody likes seeing volatility or your portfolio going down or even in the red. However, if there's a genuine reason why, it's a bit easier to stomach versus we don't really know why. There could be a few other reasons and that's what breeds and really um, promotes the the level of uncertainty. So um, thank you for so eloquently um, answering our questions to any of our listeners. I hope that this session has given you a little bit of reassurance that your money and your retirement savings um, are in great hands with the team at Mulcahy & Co. and InvestSense. We will continue to provide the service um, that we are. If you do have any questions based on the session today, or if you feel as though there would be anyone who would benefit from having a chat with a, a financial planner at the Mulcahy Co. team, please do not uh, be afraid to reach out. So, again, thank you very much, firstly, to Jesse and also to JT for joining us today.
0: My pleasure. Thank you very much, Danny. Thanks,
2: Jesse. Hey, thanks, Financial Jesse.
0: Security 360 is at the centre of what we do at Mulcahy Co. If
2: you'd like to speak to one of our professionals about a range of individual and business needs, give us a call.